Macro Podcast number 74, regular old edition for February 1st, 2007, sponsored by MYOB Small Business Management Software. MYOB helps you to mind your own business smarter. Welcome to another Macworld Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Breen. That regular old edition remark has to do with the fact that for the past couple of weeks, we've posted lots of sessions recorded at the Macworld booth during the recent Macworld Expo in San Francisco. Although today's podcast features a portion of one of these recorded sessions, that would be Dan Frake's iPod Gear Talk, we've also got some material that's a little bit more up to date. Specifically, you may have heard that Adobe has finally announced a release date for Lightroom, its software for organizing and lightly retouching photos. Priced at $199 until April 30th, at which point it jumps up 100 bucks to $299, Lightroom will be available for purchase on February 19th. Lightroom has been available in various forms as beta releases for a little over a year. Now, more than 500,000 people mucked with a beta during that time, and Adobe has deemed that the program is finally ready for release. To help us get up to speed on what Lightroom brings to the table, I'll talk with Macworld editor-at-large Rick LePage, who has had his head buried in Lightroom for, oh, I don't know, maybe the last hundred years. He'll help us sort out where Lightroom fits into the iPhoto Aperture Photoshop scheme of things. But before we get to Dan and Rick, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the big news of the week. Multicolored iPod shuffles! Wow, the tiniest iPod on the planet, the $79 second generation iPod shuffle, now comes in pink, orange, green, and blue, and that now kind of boring looking silver one of the original. Wow, right? Huh? Okay, I'm kidding, it's no big deal. They're pretty cute and have sort of a collect-em-all spirit to them, but they're mostly the same old shuffle that's likely to go through the wash because you forgot to unclip it from your pants. The one noteworthy change that comes with the new candy-colored shuffles is that Apple is now plunking its newest earbuds into the box of these players. Now, these are the same earbuds that Apple included with today's 5G iPods and iPod Nanos. The original silver-colored second-generation shuffle has the old-style Apple earbuds. Apple claims that the new earbuds sound better than the old ones, and, and maybe that's true if they fit your ears. Frankly, neither the old or new earbuds fit my ears particularly well, and it wasn't long before I sent them packing and started looking for replacements. If you're in the same boat, you'd benefit from reading Dan Frake's In-Ear Canal Headphone Primer, which is a guide to the who, what, where, how, and why of In-Ear Canal Headphones. The piece can be found at PlaylistMag.com. You can look for the link in the show notes. No, seriously, the big news of the week is, of course, the release of Windows Vista. Yeah, yeah, I understand that it's not big news for Mac users, but I'm still amused by a couple of things that have cropped up with its release. The first is how many darn versions of the thing there appear to be. Having lived with a Zune for a couple of weeks, I understand that Microsoft can do things in ways that continue to amaze in their craptacity, but honestly, did they really need to chunk Vista up into four different versions? There's Microsoft Windows Vista Home Edition, which, from all reports, appears to let you run the barest bit of Vista and costs, well, at least at Costco, nearly $60 more than Mac OS X. Then there's Microsoft Windows Vista Home Premium, which lets you use some of Vista's multimedia capabilities. And then there's Microsoft Windows Vista Business, which is a version that adds networking and mobile use functionality. And then Microsoft Windows Vista Ultimate, which I suppose includes every darn feature that Microsoft could think up, which, as far as I'm concerned, isn't necessarily such a great thing. Oh, and wait. And then there's Microsoft Windows Vista Ultimate Limited Signature Edition, which is inscribed with Bill Gates' signature. 
I mean, what is Microsoft thinking? Look, I understand that to some people, Steve Jobs is like a rock star. He runs a cool company, he wears jeans, he's often not completely shaved, and he's smarter than you are. If Apple sold a Steve Jobs autographed iPod, people would buy it. But the thing is that Apple would never sell a Steve Jobs autographed iPod because it's not cool. Apple and Jobs would find the notion of the thing completely lame. And so, of course, Microsoft does exactly that with the added irony that no one thinks Bill Gates is cool. Look, I really sincerely admire the humanitarian work that Bill Gates and his wife do. Good for them. But please, Microsoft, can someone up in Redmond buy a couple of pounds of cool and maybe some sense and nix the signature from the Vista box and maybe think about creating a single version of Vista that works for everyone. It's clear that you're inspired by Apple. Maybe making your product line simpler to understand rather than more complex will help bolster some of those lackluster Vista reviews. Then again, maybe not. And the other observation is that according to Ben Ames of IDG News Service, the release of Vista may unleash a tidal wave of new PC purchases. Dell is advising its customers running Vista Premium that they should have a computer with a dual-core processor and 2 gigabytes of RAM. Now, nothing much has happened on Windows PCs in the last couple of years. After all, Vista is something like, I don't know, 50 years late. So other than the normal desire to upgrade to a faster machine or swap a CRT for a flat panel display, there hasn't been a terribly compelling reason to jump to a much faster memory-laden computer. Vista is that reason, so we can expect a lot of used PCs to be passed down the line or offered up for recycling. Should any PC user listen to this podcast, and I hope there are a few of you out there, I might remind you that if you need a capable computer to run Vista, why not get a capable and reliable machine in one go? In other words, buy a Mac. That 20-inch 2.16 gigahertz iMac can be had for $14.99 plus another $175 for the additional gig of RAM. And of course, like all of today's Macs, it can run Windows natively via Boot Camp or in parallel with a Mac OS with Parallels Desktop for Mac, which you can buy at Amazon for about $72. With a Mac, you can have your sullied cake and eat it too. Give it a try. But enough Windows ranting. Up next, Dan Frakes from the floor of Macworld Expo, talking about one of my favorite subjects, iPod gear. Take it away, Dan. The first one we're going to talk about, and I'm going to come down here if anybody has any, wants me to hold anything up higher or anything, just raise your hand, is uh, Belkin's Tune Studio. For those of you who've been using iPods for a while, they have been able to, for some time, record audio through their dock connector on the bottom. Historically, this has been mono audio, low quality, but with the 5G iPods, the iPods with video, Apple added high-quality 16-bit, 44-kilohertz stereo um, audio. And so you can buy a number of microphones from Belkin, Griffin, um, Extreme Mac that do this. Belkin has actually come up with an entire studio that you can use to record audio on your, audio on your Mac. You put your iPod in the, in the little dock here, and it automatically docks with the recording functions of the iPod, and it's a four-track recording studio. It's got XLR plugs for your musical instruments, microphone plugs, and, um, audio, and auxiliary inputs so you can actually plug other items or even another mixing board or something into it and record multi-track audio onto your iPod. So instead of having to bring along a whole recording studio, you can bring along this, a power cord in your instruments, and record anywhere you want. And it records directly to your iPod's um, uh, voice recording type uh, menu. When you sync with iTunes, that audio all goes right back into iTunes, and so you've got your high-quality, wave, uncompressed, like I said, CD-quality audio right on your iPod. So this is um, one... 99 to 249 is the estimated price shipping later this year, um, June. 
June. Thank you. Sorry? This summer. Summer. Thank you. So this is very cool. And there's even a little, I, I guess I was the first person to notice this. There's a lock. So you can actually lock it down so no one walks away with your iPod in your recording studio. The next unit we have, and we can't actually demo this here, is Alpine's new uh, iPod-compatible head unit. One of the biggest questions we get, uh, most frequent questions we get at uh, Playlist and Macworld is, how do I get my iPod hooked up to my car stereo? And, you know, you can use a cassette player, you can use a cassette adapter, you can use a, a radio frequency transmitter. But uh, your best connection is going to be a direct connection directly to your stereo. Alpine has, for a while, has been... Uh, has been providing iPod uh, adapters that let you use their head units with iPods. And we reviewed some of those in the past, and they were pretty good for what was out at the time. Uh, we had a few criticisms on them that were mainly consequences of the fact that these weren't designed for the iPod. They were head units that already existed that they tried to make an adapter to make it work, and it worked pretty well. This is their first one designed from the ground up for as an iPod head unit. No CD player. This is for people who listen to their iPod and don't use CDs in their car. It's, it does have... Um, it's got a radio, so you're not without your radio. But when you hook this, you've got this installed. Uh, in your glove compartment, for example, you've got a little dock cable. You plug in your iPod, charges your iPod, keeps it, you know, powered. And then all of your menus and everything show up right on this screen. And it's a beautiful screen, full color. Um, and in addition to being able to uh, navigate your music, you, it even comes with all the full iPod menus, uh, podcasts, uh, genres, everything like that. And you can navigate just as you would on an iPod. So instead of a click wheel, it has this little rotating knob. And um, it's a huge step up from the previous ones we had. And I haven't seen anything else like it on the market in terms of head units that actually work with an iPod. And and actually, how much is this? Four fifty. Four fifty. Four fifty. Thank you. I've got the vendors here, just kind of backing me up with questions uh, afterwards. So, four fifty. And this is available in a couple months. Is that right? Summer. Thank you. Summer. All right. What's that? Back. Just like the iPhone, right? right. Back home. Uh, one of the things that. Uh, you know, with the iPod now, it can do so many things. It can play video, it can play music, uh, you can show photos on your TV. A lot of people are starting to keep their iPod by their home entertainment system, not by their computer. So what happens when you want to sync your iPod with your computer, you basically got to pick it up, take it back to your office, take it back to your bedroom, plug it in and sync it. Silex has come out with what's called a Y-Dock. And this is a dock. It connects to your home entertainment system. It's got video and audio out. But it also has wireless and Ethernet connections. And so you can actually sync this with your wireless network at home, keep this in your home entertainment system, put your iPod in, and when you want to sync with your computer, you just press a button and it automatically syncs with iTunes over your home network. You don't have to take it out of your entertainment system at all. Um, and in fact, if you've got multiple iPods and multiple computers, there's actually a pairing system that he was explaining to me earlier that you can pair one iPod with one computer, one iPod with another, and as long as all the computers and the, iP uh, and the uh, dock are on the network, it'll actually know which ones to sync with. And that is, I actually don't have a price. Where? 149. Thank you. And I believe that's available for order now. The uh, next one is actually this. We gave a best of show award, so those of you who saw the best of uh, show presentation have seen this already. And this is called George. Um, <laughs> that, that's the name, George. And what it is is it's an iPod speaker system, sort of a tabletop um, audio system. And it sounds great, but what's really unique about this is that uh, the front panel here has actually been removed. This is the front panel. And when you plug your iPod in, what happens is it's got a wireless connection between this and that. 
and it downloads and basically uh, puts on the screen the iPod menus. So you carry this around as far as you want to go, and you can actually navigate playlists, navigate artists, navigate all the stuff that's on your iPod uh, through your normal menus from here and control the volume and everything. And in addition, it's an alarm clock, which is kind of cool because now you can keep this in your bedroom. This little charging stand can actually go right next to your bed, and you've got the remote control. You can control all your music, listen to it from across the room, have your alarm clock right next to you. And it's kind of a really, it's a really cool system. Um, you can download our best of show uh, presentation on that and get more information about it from the Macworld website. Um, and this is 549, uh, and it's also extendable. So you can plug in modules to this that are uh, planned for the future. For example, an HD radio module, so that this will automatically um, support HD radio. It's got an AM/FM band. It's kind of a cool AM/FM radio because it's bandless, meaning. Um, you don't have to switch between AM and FM. You just keep turning, and it goes right from AM to FM and back again, which is which is kind of a cool feature. And uh, did I miss anything? Okay, that's that's the nutshell. Shipping next week. Thank you. All right, the next one is okay. How many of you have seen the iPod Nano lanyard that Apple sells? It's sort of you plug your iPod Nano into it. It hangs around your neck and has built-in earbuds. This is one from a company called Lentech. And it's an iPod Nano lanyard, except the difference is, you plug it in here just like you would Apple's lanyard, hold it, goes around your neck, and it's got little earbuds. Difference is, this has Bluetooth and a built-in microphone. So you can be wearing this, and uh, if your phone rings, if you've got a phone with Bluetooth, press a little button on the side, and your phone is automatically transferred directly to the earbuds, and the microphone is right here around your neck. So you can be, you know, walking around, listen to your music, answer your calls, when you're done, switch right back to the music. So this is a really cool thing, and the way they've made it so that it looks just like, kind of just like Apple's own accessory is, is nice, because we've seen some of the other ones like this. They've all got kind of a bulky, you know, bulky thing that hangs around your neck or fits in your pocket. So this is just, pretty much just like Apple's lanyard, except built in Bluetooth. And this is $69, and it will be shipping in March. And again, all the things we're showing here are all out on the floor today, so you can go around and look around. I have not asked his question was, can you use it to like do audio recording, voice recording? I haven't asked them. I don't think from what I've read that it does that or they, no, thank you. No, it's not a voice recorder. It's a, it's a, you know, Bluetooth headset for your phone and an iPod lanyard. What's that? Lentech. And they're actually in the North Hall. If you go in all the way to the other side and to the right. Is that right? Down over to the right in the North Hall? Thanks. Okay. This is Altec Lansing's in motion IM600. We've reviewed the IM500, which is basically about a half an inch wide, um, a little smaller than this, and we liked it a lot. What they've done, is, and that's 129. For 149, they've made it bigger, given it four times the power, pop a, bu a button on the front, and you get a dock and a stand, AM, FM radio, um, a little clock, I believe, um, and it sounds, it actually sounds really good for the price. And what's unique about this is that at the $149 price point, uh, there's a lot of speakers out there, and they usually either sound pretty good or they have a lot of features. Um, this is one of the first ones that actually has all, pretty much all of it. It sounds pretty good, has a lot of nice features. It's portable, battery-powered. It can um, sync with your computer, plug in a USB port in the back, has video out. So it's a nice little unit all-in-one. And this is 149 and I believe it's available in a couple months, I think they told me. All right, let's see. Um, here's actually one of the first speakers we've seen for the iPod Shuffle, the new Shuffle. It's a fold-up unit, runs off batteries, gets you about, I think they said 12, 15 hours of battery life, 
pop it open, and it's got a little plug for the shuffle. Shuffle just sits right on, right inside. And let me see if I can get it to start playing here. It cannot overcome the noise of the crowd, I'm sure, but but it's a nice little thing just to carry in your travel bag, and uh, battery powered, um, and folds up nice and compact. This is forty nine dollars, I believe they said, and is available. I think they said it's available now. So that's the first um, speaker system we've seen that's specifically designed for the sh- new shuffle from Creative Labs, and they're right behind us. Yes, Creative, one of the, the consequences of Apple's settlement with Creative a few months ago is that Creative is now a made-for-iPod vendor, and they've probably got like eight or ten speaker systems over there specifically made for the iPod. Uh, the next one is Griffith's, Griffith Technologies Evolve speaker system. Um, it looks kind of interesting, but the cool thing about this is that it's wireless. It uh, uses radio frequency, and if I press play here, hear it, you can pick up the speakers and just walk away. They can go up to 150 feet in each one, so you can actually have them 300 feet apart. Um, they're rechargeable. Whenever you put them into the base, they charge. And I think you said, what was the battery life on that? 10 to 12 hours for the for each speaker. But you can have unlimited speakers, too. So if you want to have speakers, say, in more rooms or around more parts of your house or another set for the patio, you can buy just the speakers each one you set down, it automatically pairs with the system. So if I want, say, another left-handed speaker, I can just put another one on here. It'll automatically say, okay, this is a left-handed speaker. It's synced and paired, and I can take that one and put it somewhere else. So you can put basically as many speakers as you want around the, around your house, all synced with this one. And there's also a radio frequency remote that will work through walls with another 150-foot range or so. So you can actually control the system pretty much anywhere you want in your house, have as many speakers as you want. And that is... 349, thank you. This summer. Do you have a question? No. Is it available in white as well or just black? Just black, okay. Alright, so the next one is a Luna. We actually reviewed this. This was officially released, um, uh, back in December for only in Apple stores, but this is the first sort of public showing of it here at the show. I mean, here in public. And this is, uh, Extreme Max Luna alarm clock. And it's $150. And what makes the Luna unique among alarm clocks is, for one thing, it sounds pretty good for its size. It actually is impressive sound for the size. But the screen is what really does it. The the design is nice, but each of these is a button, and they work kind of like an iPod. So you click a button, and as you rotate, it's kind of hard to see back there, but as you turn the little button up top, it has menus that look just like an iPod. So all the functions on on the clock... Radio, alarm settings, uh, dimmers, everything works just like an iPod. It's got a little select button to go, you know, to select things in the menu. It's got a menu button to go back up. Um, and it's got a, uh, so the interface is very iPod lock. It's got a great remote that has a, more features than any alarm clock remote we've seen. And, um, it even has cool features like you can set it so that the, the, uh, screen brightness at night goes down until you go to sleep and in the morning it's really bright when you wake up and so you can set different kind of brightnesses for different times of day and stuff like that so that's a very that's probably of the alarm clocks we've seen for the ipod that's probably the best one uh the only weakness we've seen in it is the is the radio and it uh the amfm radio reception isn't quite as good as some of the other ones but for everything else it's really a pretty good package and then i'm actually burning through these what's it that is 149 150 is that right did i I don't see anyone objecting, so I think guess that's right. I'm actually flying through this, doing this much faster than I thought. Um, the other thing I wanted to show, and we don't have a sample here, 
is um, DLO's Home Doc Deluxe. And the Home Doc Deluxe, the original one, has been out for quite a while. And what it does is it, it plugs into your home entertainment system, shows the video from your iPod on screen, um, but it also lets you navigate your iPod's menu. So uh, with most of the docs that hook up to your entertainment system, you navigate on the iPod itself, and then so you have to kind of walk across the room or use the remote and try to see what's going on. With the Home Doc Deluxe, there's a menu that shows on screen, and it's sort of go, you can go through playlists, pick songs, pick artists. But the, the, the drawback to the original Home Doc Deluxe is that it didn't do videos. You, to, to look at videos on the screen, you'd have to actually walk over and use the controls on the iPod, press play, then go back and sit down. The new Home Doc Deluxe, which is coming out um, in the next couple months, same price, it's $149.99, um, will also let you navigate all of your videos on screen. So you can go through your video playlist, uh, choose movies to play, choose TV shows to play right from your chair in the remote. And it's the only doc we've seen so far that is actually out in the wild and does that. We've seen a couple more that have said they're going to, but we haven't actually seen one. So that's the Home Doc Deluxe, and that's a DLO, which is just right up here um, towards the back of the, of the, uh, the floor. Thanks, Dan. I hope those of you who attended Expo had a chance to check out some of these cool products. Those who didn't will find links to them in our show notes. And now, before Rick LePage and I talk Lightroom, a word from our sponsor, MYOB. Are you a small business that loves the Mac? How about your accountant? How much do they love your Mac? With MYOB's easy-to-use small business management software, it doesn't matter. MYOB will send your accountant a free copy of the software, Mac or Windows, completely cross-platform. Since 1989, MYOB's award-winning software has empowered small business owners to manage their customers, vendors, inventory, payroll, and, of course, their accounting. To learn how MYOB can help your small business, visit myob-us.com. MYOB. Mind your own business. Smarter. And now Macworld editor-at-large Rick LePage and I turn to Adobe's soon-to-be-released Lightroom. I'm Skyped in with Macworld Editor-at-Large, Rick LePage. Now, Rick has spent the better part of, I don't know, the last few weeks, months, exploring Adobe's soon-to-be-released Lightroom. Thanks for joining me, Rick. No problem, Chris. Glad to be here. So, yeah, how long have you been working with, with Lightroom? Well, actually, I've been working with Lightroom for a year now. Um, if you remember, Adobe announced it sort of surreptitiously under the radar um, during Macworld Expo a year ago mm-hmm. um, as a public beta, um, approximately four to six months after Apple announced Aperture. Right. Um, and so I've been working. There were two main public betas over the year, um, the one that came out in January, and then there was one, I believe, in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been working with both versions uh, since since January last year. And then I just got the um, what they're hoping will be the final candidate for release um, last weekend. So I've been playing with the latest version for about four days now. Right. And then for Macworld, you'll be doing the first look as well as the review? Yes. Right. So for, the, for those who don't know, briefly describe what Lightroom is and does. Lightroom is, uh, I mean, the... the technical term, I guess, is asset management. Uh, it's a, a, a management tool for digital photographers. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the issues that has, of course, come up with the rise of digital cameras is we get these flashcards that take hundreds, if not thousands, of pictures. And we dump them all into our computer, and we we want to edit some, we want to print some. Um, but, you know, it's like it, it's this big vat of pictures, and how do you sort of 
work your way through them and find which ones are are good and get rid of the ones that are bad and um, catalog them and print them and make websites with them. And we've seen, you know, Apple pioneered it with iPhoto a few years ago, um, which is a great product, but it's really an entry-level product. Mm-hmm. Um, Lightroom is more geared to the professional photographer, the serious amateur. It's meant to be, it's not meant to replace Photoshop as an image editor, but it's meant to sort of catalog, categorize, edit in, in very intuitive and clear ways, um, your, your photographs, your digital, digital photographs. Right. Well, so what does this do for broader asset management programs like Portfolio and iView and Canto Cumulus? Are, are these sort of not necessary or do you think Lightroom is going to eat any of their lunch at all? Well, actually, Aperture sort of ate iView's lunch, mm-hmm. and since Microsoft bought iView last year, uh, I mean, Microsoft has clearly stated that iView will continue to be available on the Mac platform, um, and the version that's out there right now is very good, um, but I, I wouldn't expect to see it as a real competitor. Um, products like Cumulus and Portfolio are really designed for large work groups. Uh, that manage more than just photographs. I mean, they'll manage fonts, InDesign documents, Quark documents, mm-hmm. all sorts of, of media. Um, you know, Lightroom is really geared to the digital photographer. Right. Uh, more than anything else. Right. So how, how do Lightroom and Aperture compare? I mean, are they truly competing products? They're definitely competing products. Uh, they're, they're very different in feel. Um, and it, and it's kind of hard to describe. Um, you know, Aperture really did come from a company that understood the operating system, file systems, and and had a pretty good handle on graphics and digital photography. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still, you know, it, Aperture has has grown quite a bit in the last year and a half. Um, but it's it, it still feels very centric around, you know. Organizing your images, doing some editing with them, um, it, 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 it has a different feel. I think Adobe's heritage with Photoshop—they have a different understanding of how people edit images. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not—it's it's not that the Aperture is not as good as Lightroom, or Lightroom is not as good as Aperture. I actually don't know yet at, at which I think is the better application. Mm-hmm. Um, they both have um, very Similar ways of working in places and very different ways of working in places. Um, Lightroom feels to me now, the, the, the version that I'm working with right now, uh, a little bit more fluid than Aperture does. Um, but Aperture also has some, some real time management features, time saving features mm-hmm. that, uh, I haven't yet found in Lightroom. Right. Um, we, we need to remember, you know, Lightroom, even though it's been in beta for a year and Adobe benefited mightily from that, um, it still is a 1.0 product, and there's places where I look and I go, yeah, you know, they really should fix that, and I, I wish they did this. Um, you know, uh, watermarking, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, as we as as digital photographers put images on the web and on discs that they give to friends and they print them out, it's really important for for artists to be able to keep their copyright information. Sure. And um, you know. Both Aperture and Lightroom have have struggled with this. It, they don't make it as easy as as I think it should be, and other photographers, you know. So there's there's little things in in Lightroom that I'm finding, but for the most part, I'm pretty impressed overall with it. 
People who are much more in the know about these sort of things than I am have told me that Aperture is far less modal than Lightroom. Have you found that to be the case? Yes, a- Aperture actually is much less modal. You can you can select an image and do whatever you want at whatever point in time. Um, you know, Lightroom sort of walks you through this process. You know, you you throw your images into the library and you sort them and rate them and pick them and catalog them and you know then you take them into the develop module where you 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 work on fine tuning image adjustments and then from there you can build slideshows, you can print out your images, you can build websites from them. But it is very sort of you know let's do this and then move on to this and move on to that. Where Aperture is much more freeform um, for the most part. Yeah, I found that just working a little bit with a beta with, with Lightroom, I've been playing with it for a few days. And, and you're right, there are places where I get into like step two, and it's forced me into step two. And I think, no, I really want to be back in step one again. And I kept having to flip sort of, you know, chapters in a book in order to get from here to here, which I found distracting. But did you find that to be the case, or did I, you sort I, of I work with your flow? I, I, I find that to be the case. I, I'm working with their flow, and, and, you know, before Aperture, I, I, I mean, as, as much as I'd love to say that, that I used iPhoto, you know, as my asset management tool, mm-hmm. it, it it's not really an application designed for that. Um, and so, you know, I used different combinations of saving things in folders, and um, I used iView for quite a while. Um, I, I've, I, you know, I developed my own workflow for dealing with digital images. And Aperture came along. And one of the things that, that Apple did when they announced Aperture was they said, we've discovered the, the best way for photographers to work with their images, and mm-hmm. here it is. And, um, I, you know, that I, I think everybody would realize that that sort of a mistake was, was a mistake um, in the way they did that. Because what a lot of people did when they got Aperture was they said, oh, this is, a, it, this, this is not the way I work. I, I don't want to work this mm-hmm. way. Um, and and it, I think actually Apple really was onto something, much like I think Adobe is onto something with Lightroom, in that we had built all of these tips and tricks and workarounds to deal with images in our own personal ways. And some of us were very good at it and had these streamlined methods. Other people were just sort of freeform. Um, you know, I just found a you know two DVDs full of discs from 1999 or 2000. You know that I didn't even know I had. You know, mm-hmm. and I just had miscatalogued them. Um, and, and and so we built these workflows, and then these tools come along, and we go, oh well, that's not the way I work. I'm not going to work that way. Right. And I remember sitting down with Aperture and feeling. Okay, you know what? I really have to give this a chance because when I look at the demos that you know Apple people are doing, I'm going, boy, that would be really great if I could do that, and and oh, that would be good. And there were problems with Aperture 1.0, um, but you know, at 1.5 right now, it's it's a really solid, useful application. The 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 thing that that we didn't like to hear was you have to work a different way. Mm-hmm. And Lightroom is doing the same, is the same thing. It, it is, it's working in a different way from Aperture. The same principles are there. And one of the things that, that, that we as digital photographers or as photographers will need to do is determine which program, because I think it will come down to, you know, do I want to use Aperture? Do I want to use Lightroom as my primary 
digital photography dashboard. Right. Um, you know, which workflow is better for me? And 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 I, I'm still not sure. I, I don't see anything in Lightroom that is you know putting up a big red flag. That's like, okay, that's it. I'm not going to work in this mm-hmm. product at all. Um, you know, Adobe benefited greatly from Aperture's 1.0 and the 1.1 and 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 from the public beta, so that its 1.0 is much more polished and further along than Aperture 1.0 was. Um, but you know, it's it's really going to be what you know what happens over the next year as these products develop and as photographers go in and say, okay, I am gonna I'm gonna trust you, Lightroom, or I'm gonna trust mm-hmm. you, Aperture. Um, you know, show me how I can work more efficiently. I can get my you know, a greater number of images cataloged, processed, and the right ones, the ones that I want to print, I want to give to clients, the ones that I want to put in an exhibition, you know, quicker and easier. Right. And, now the, and I see things in Lightroom that, that do that. Mm-hmm. So. Now, there was a lot of resistance to Aperture, particularly among Photoshop users, and, and because, as you suggest, they had a certain way of working that they expected Aperture to work that way, and it didn't. And so they said, well, I, I can't possibly use this thing. For the hardcore Photoshop user, is there are there things in Lightroom that they'll recognize from Photoshop and say, "Oh, I get it. This is like that, and therefore this is going to be my choice rather than Aperture." Um, well, it, it, it that's a funny question. You say the hardcore Photoshop user, and um, I can see. I know lots of hardcore Photoshop users who have switched to Aperture, and Photoshop is the tool that they use when they want to do significant edits to an image Mm -hmm. beyond what Aperture can do. Um, You know, the Apple team has been really good about making sure that that you know Photoshop files come come and go into Aperture very well, and it's similar in Lightroom. Um, You know, one of the interesting things is you. Most of the editing that most photographers do, and, and I know there'll be people who screaming, no, that's not true, but most of the stuff is very simple, you know, exposure compensation, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, checking for, for dust and things like that, you know, bringing out some vibrance in the colors or reducing saturation, converting to grayscale. Um, and, and both Lightroom and Aperture do that really well. Um, you know what you need Photoshop for is are things like masking or compositing. Right. Um, and, and the the key point is, will I be able to use Photoshop as part of my workflow tool? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people, Photoshop was their entire workflow tool, and, and I'm sure some people will continue to work that way. They say, I'm not going to work in a product like Lightroom. I'm not going to work in a product like Aperture. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to continue to do it the way that I've always done it, you know, because I've got my system and, and, and that makes sense. Um, but for most people, it, they don't want to have to go into Photoshop just to do a level and curves adjustment. Right. You know, they don't want to go into to, to Photoshop to, you know, reduce the blues in the sky, you know, or, or, or that type of thing. And, and this is where, you know, a product like Lightroom really shines. And, and Aperture does the same thing. So, right. I, what I what I what I find really fascinating and interesting is that that it's taken so long for us to get to this point. You know, what is it was a 2007, and really only in the last year and a half have we gotten to the point where where companies have thought through the idea of you know I've got 10,000 digital pictures 
you know, sitting on my hard drive and on, on portable hard drives. How the heck do I, do I deal with them? How do I get them into, you know, some semblance of order so that I can, you know, sell them or, you know, get them to clients or that sort of thing? Yeah, well, also, I think it took schmoes like me getting a digital SLR who had, hadn't a clue what to do with the images once they had them. I mean, I would throw them into files or into folders. I put them into yeah. photos or into iPhoto. But now I want more power than, than iPhoto provides. And so I am seriously looking at, at both Aperture and Lightroom as possibilities. And I'm not a pro. I just need something more than iPhoto is providing to me. Yeah. And, and, and both Lightroom and Aperture will do yeah, I would say they would do 90% of what most people will want to do with their, their, their photographs. Whether, you know, they're, they're schmoes like you or me or, you know, they're professional photographers. Right. So um, who is yeah. the perfect user for these programs? Is it, is it now the schmoes and above or, or is it still sort of, no, yes. it's a little too rarefied? Oh, okay. No, it's definitely the schmoes and above. I mean, it, you know, uh, I can't remember the price of Aperture off the top of my head, but it's, it's, like what two forty nine or two ninety nine, you know, Lightroom will be two ninety nine. Although they're having a one ninety nine special for the first thirty days, um, you know, those are products that I mean, if you're serious about this and you went and spent six or seven hundred dollars on a a good digital SLR and you know a two gigabyte flash card, um, you're going to want a product that's really going to be sort of industrial strength in terms of taking care of your images, adjusting your images, keywording, tagging. Um, you know, it, you're going to want a product like Lightroom right. or Aperture. Mm-hmm. Now, since you've been using this thing for well, since the beginning, uh, and now you have the final version, which the rest of us don't have access to, what's changed since the beta? Well, um, the 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 big things that, that Adobe's added in just the last few months, um, they've added what they call a, a snapshot capability. Hmm. So I can go through on an image and um, do a bunch of edits. I can crop it. I can change. I can change it to black and white. I could, um, you know, bring out the shadows. Uh, I can do all of these different things, and then I can basically save that as a snapshot. Mm-hmm. And I can then go all the way back to the beginning with my image to, to, you know, raw right off the camera and do a whole different set of things to it. Um, you know, the, 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 the great thing about products like Aperture and Lightroom is, is they're non-destructive, what they call non-destructive editors. Mm-hmm. And what that means is, is that, that when you edit an image, when you make, when you crop it, you adjust, you know, the tonal range. In, instead of actually doing it to the image, it's writing out a set of scripts almost. In a, in a, uh, XML, XMP file, mm-hmm. they call it. And then it in essence plays them back when you go through the, when you look at the image on the screen. And so you're never doing anything to your original image. So the snapshot capability lets you do things like I could have a, a, a grayscale version, a sepia toned version, a version that's cropped really differently, another one that's got, you know, the colors are all garish, um, and, and have all of these virtual copies. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the very cool things. Uh, another thing they've added is this thing called a, a key metadata browser. And, uh, you know, metadata is a fancy word um, that basically, you know, when you take a picture, uh, all of this stuff gets saved with the image. You know, the camera you took, the lens it, it used, whether the flash fired, the date, the time, um, you know, the size of the image, uh, all of these things that, that are with your 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 file and they travel 
with it into Lightroom. Mm-hmm. Well, you can there, you get a list of basically all of the lenses that you've ever used in any picture, and you click on them, and Lightroom just pops up all of the images that you shot with your 24-millimeter lens or all the pictures you took with your Canon 5D or your PowerShot G3. Um, it, it, it's really cool. You know, as someone who's tested cameras for probably 10 years now, uh, to look in this metadata browser and see cameras that are 8 and 9 years old, and, and I remember more that I took these pictures with this camera than what date it was because, you know, right. I'm getting up there. And, um, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's another uh, really cool thing. They added, um, you know, cloning and healing tools, which that, that was one of the big things in Photoshop CS2 were these, you know, these healing brushes that would allow you to sort of get rid of dust and spots and, you know, the ugly stop sign that was there, you know, without having to learn about masking. Right. Which was, um, and, that was one of the things that was really missing in Lightroom, um, something that Aperture has, and they've added that to the final version of, of Lightroom, and that and that that to me was key. That was one of the ones they had to had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the the last feature that that I've been playing with, and, and I'm finding fascinating. I still don't have a complete handle on it, but it's it's very cool. Um, you know, if you start playing. With these types of products, you start dealing with things like histograms and 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 curves adjustments, and right. you know the the shadows and the highlights and things like that. And you know, Lightroom's got some very cool tools where you can just sort of like you know put put your cursor in the middle of the histogram and move it around, and you know the image changes. Well, they've added a new feature called a, a, a targeted adjustment level, and so you go in and you you say you know that sky is kind of kind of dark i really want that to be a bit lighter well you click on the 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 curve tool and instead of going and adjusting the tool the curve you actually go right on the sky and you just drag up to lighten or drag down to darken wow and if you want you know and you can do this with saturation it's it's a really really fun tool to use now whether it's more of a trick and you're not really going to use it that much or it's it's a key productivity tool i'm not i haven't done enough with it to know but it's a lot of fun to play with an image just sort of you know stick the cursor in and mouse around Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that sounds like it's a a cool feature are there any others that are your uh, whether they exist in the beta or not that are your favorite features um I, i i really like the printing module you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a printer geek, um, and you know I like I like to I like to see a photograph on paper, mm-hmm. um, and you know, in the beta even in the public betas, Adobe did a really nice job with letting you create on the fly, um, you know, custom photo you know you could take you know a dozen images and print a contact sheet and but you could go in and set you know how big do you want those those images to be on that sheet how many rows how many columns and aperture's got some similar sorts of things but um, i'm finding that the print module in lightroom is really pretty robust and a lot of fun to play with uh, mm-hmm. that's sort of my favorite feature um, and it has really cool web templates um, you know you can build Websites just on the fly from this, as you can with even with iPhoto. Yeah. Um, but you know, Adobe's got Macromedia, bought Macromedia last year, and so they've got Flash. And so I would say half of the web templates are Flash based. Oh. 
and you can do some really cool stuff with it. I mean, I, I put some, you know, built a couple of slideshows, put them up on the web Saturday night with showing them people and they, you know, they're thinking I'm like some genius web programmer. And, you know, I had to tell them that it was now, you know, I just like clicked, you know, export as, as HTML. Huh. So, you know, it, it's Lightroom, Lightroom is, is, is really well thought out from sort of getting the images in to getting them out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, much as, as Aperture is, and, you know, over the next year, it's going to be very interesting to see what people do with this application as well as what they do with App, continue to do with Aperture. Right. Okay, at the risk of, of ending on a negative note, are there any features in here that drive you nuts? Are there any features in, the, in there that drive me nuts? Um, actually, the, the, I don't know if it's a feature, um, but you know, there's, there's, you know, you can go in this sort of lights out or you know, this mode where you get rid of all of the menu bars and the panels and things like that. And they have a film strip panel that's across the bottom. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you remember when Apple first released OS 10, and and all you had to do was like put your cursor in the bottom half of the screen. It seems sometimes and the dock would pop up. Yeah, it comes to the dock. And and that sort of happens with the film strip, you know. Um, and and I'm sure that some of that is is me learning the sensitivity of, of Lightroom, but that that's really been the only thing that's been driving me crazy. Um, and and what I discovered yesterday was just leave the darn film strip on and then you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> um, you know, so on a on a on a MacBook monitor, it's a pain in the butt. But you know, on a on a 20-inch cinema display. It's 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 okay. I'll You're okay there. then. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when can we expect your your first look? And um, and I suppose the review comes out after we actually see the thing ship. Right. Um, well, the first look should be up um, on Monday or Tuesday of next week. Mm-hmm. And um, mid month is when they're saying they're going to ship. Right. The nineteenth. Uh, mid February nineteenth. Yes. So we should have a we should have the review up on the Probably the twentieth, nineteenth or twentieth. Terrific. Um, they're saying that they'll have Golden Master in about a week, and uh, that's what we need to review the product is sure. what they're shipping. So, right. Well, I look forward to reading both the first look and the review. And uh, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you, Chris. It was fun. And that wraps up this MacWorld podcast, sponsored by MYOB, Small Business Management Software. MYOB helps you to mind your own business smarter. I'd like to thank Dan Frakes, Rick LePage, and, of course, you for listening. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, Mac, iPod, iPhone, and technology news, views, and information at Macworld.com. I'll see you next time.